Hello everyone, this is Mr. Swindoll. Today, we'll be looking at John 6, 32-71. This is for Lesson 17 in your workbook. Last episode, the concluding question, Jesus is himself the bread of life, so then, how do we eat the bread of life? Before we look at Jesus' answer to that question, let's remind ourselves some of the unique claims about Jesus' divinity. Specifically, I want to highlight, not necessarily argue so much, the claims that he is a divine person. In John 1, John the author says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John the baptizer says, After me comes a man, Jesus, who ranks before me, because he was before me. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And Jesus himself says to Philip, You will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, who is not understanding his teaching, We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. It kind of makes you ask the question, who's the we that Jesus is referring to? If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Again, that raises the question, how would Jesus know heavenly things? He goes on to say, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Listen to John the Baptizer's last recorded words in this book at the end of chapter 3. He explains what Jesus means when he says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I mentioned in the last episode, in chapter 5, after Jesus heals the paralyzed man on the Sabbath, a controversy was ignited. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The problem isn't that the Jews were jealous that Jesus could do nice things, or that they didn't appreciate those nice things, like save a wedding, heal sick children, heal a paralytic. Who's against receiving freebies? The Unsaved world, even, will gladly receive any free things you offer. So what are they against? Well, the lost world hates and wants Jesus dead because he makes himself equal with God. Listen to Jesus equate himself to the Father. It's important to note that he's claiming that he was, is, and will always be the only one that can say these things about himself. He says, As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life 
to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So let's be clear, crystal clear. If you reject this Jesus, then you reject the only God, and you will perish in eternal judgment. On the other side, if you worship, honor, and believe in this Jesus, then you worship, honor, and believe in the only God, and you will enjoy eternal life and all of his benefits. It's not the topics of hell and heaven, blessings, that God Jesus crucified. It's that he claimed to be God, the Son. Jesus continues in John 5, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So notice what Jesus really emphasizes as the real problem. You don't believe my words. That's the end of it all. It should be believing in, trusting in Jesus. What he really says about himself. Well, what does he really say about himself? Believing what exactly? Let's connect those divine claims to today's text. In the last episode, we studied the first part of Jesus, the bread of life, that discourse in the synagogue at Capernaum. Let's remember some key phrases. Jesus said, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. I'm adding my own emphasis there to the phrases from heaven. I'm pointing that out because the people themselves... It's said here in the text will be offended by that specific phrase from heaven that he came down from heaven. Now, let's go through today's text. After Jesus teases this bread of life, this eternal bread of life that the Father gives, the people naturally respond in verse 34 with this request, Sir, give us this bread always. Sounds kind of like the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, here's yet another moment of great irony due to the blindness and unbelief of the people. Give us this bread. At the beginning of his conversation, these people call Jesus their rabbi. However, Jesus is going to demonstrate these so-called students of his are tone deaf to the real teaching. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is not simply the one whom God is using to dispense spiritual and material benefits apart from himself. He is himself the ultimate spiritual and material blessing for all those who come to him. Is Jesus simply useful for things that he gives? Or is he himself the best thing that he gives to you? Also, listen to the way Jesus views it. When we believe in him, it's not primarily us giving ourselves to him, as though we have something that he lacks or needs so badly from us. No, he owns everything already and doesn't need anything. Listen to how Jesus describes it. All the people that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If that doesn't sound very clear, Jesus says it this way in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And again in verse 65. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. If we view Jesus only as the guy who just makes sure we don't have to go to hell, we're missing the point of Jesus. If we view Jesus as someone only that we give ourselves to, and not as people whom the Father has given to the Son, we're missing the point. Jesus says believing in him is the result of the Father himself unifying the believer to his Son, Jesus. Whoever comes to Jesus believing in him will never be cast out. What a great promise that is. You might be thinking this, there are all kinds of people that come to Jesus in a manner of speaking. And there are all kinds of people that believe in Jesus in a manner of speaking. So it raises the question, what exactly are these people believing about Jesus? What is a saving belief in Jesus? What does ineffectual coming to Jesus look like? I think Jesus answers the question in verse 44. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son. Hmm. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Or at least the concept does. Looks on. That sounds a lot like what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 14 through 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Although the phrase look on isn't there, the connection is most certainly there. What did those Israelites in the wilderness have to do with the serpent? They were poisoned by snakes on the brink of death, but they were commanded to look upon a bronze snake lifted up by Moses. So the Israelites were saved simply by looking and trusting the promise of life signified by this thing lifted up. It wasn't the snake. It was the God who promised eternal life in the thing that it signified. Now, Jesus is even greater because not only is he the sign of that promise, he is himself the fulfillment of that promise. The first time, the sign and the thing itself, the Savior himself, were one and the same on that cross of Jesus. That's it. That's the key. We're not poisoned by physical snakes, but we're poisoned by the spiritual venom of sin. We too are on the brink of death, in eternal judgment. But we can be healed of the sin that plagues us. We can be healed by looking upon Jesus, sent from God, by God, and for God. Look upon that Jesus, lifted up, bearing our curse of sin in his own flesh, so that we may have eternal life. Is that what you believe and trust when you look upon Jesus with the eyes of your heart? This is the will of God. That is saving faith. So the Jews grumbled. But why? They say why. Eternal life isn't the problem. Who's against that? It says they grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. 
Jesus is something more than a mere man sent by God, like Moses. Jesus is God sent by God. The world likes the benefits of Jesus, but not the person of Jesus. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? That's what they said. Now Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise it up on the last day. Now that really turns up the heat. So the Jews then dispute among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You see, the world hates that it doesn't have its own answer for death. People love coming together, starting fundraisers, flattering each other with phrases like, Together, we are going to stop this from happening. But how frustrated does the world get when it's told, Actually, there's no cure. We're all going to die. We don't have anything to stop it. We're doomed. Only Jesus gets to say all these things. There is no cure. You are all going to die. You don't have anything to stop it. You're doomed. But if you look upon my broken body and my cascading blood, even in moments where your body and your soul are rotting away, I promise you, I will raise you up on the last day. I promise you, through my flesh and blood, you and all of the glory of my creation will be resurrected back to me because the Father has given that to me. When the people heard this, it says in verse 66 that many of Jesus' followers turned back and no longer walked with him. You can look at a meal of bread and wine all you want, but you don't eat it and you're starving to death, you will die. Believing in Jesus means you accept the fact that you have no other solution, no other options, nothing to offer him, no other meal, just this one. Believing in Jesus means you trust and rejoice in the fact that he gives eternal life from himself. He is the one who will resurrect us at the end of all things. Feeding on Jesus' flesh and blood means we never stop feasting on those promises about him every day until our death or when he returns. That concludes this lesson. God bless you. Ciao. Bendiciones.